This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 10, and we are recording on Tuesday, January 5th. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and the managing editor of Book Riot, and I'm here with returning guest, once again, Jen Northington, who's our events director, co-host of the Book Rages podcast and part-time bookseller at Word. And we have a kind of exciting announcement to make, Jen and I. Yay! So, <laughs> thanks for being back on the show. Um, so that announcement is that due to the uh, volume of requests that we've been getting for this show, we've decided to move it from bi-weekly to weekly, and Jen is going to be my permanent co-host. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So that's very exciting. So thanks to everyone who has written in and continues to write in your recommendation questions uh, to the show. We've gotten so many that we've started to fall kind of behind and I felt a little bad about it. So we're just going to go ahead and move to to every week. And Jen is a, you know, the reader's advisory sort of stuff is her I don't know, spiritual gift, wheelhouse, it's, all it's of those jam. things. Yes, it jam. is her jam. Um, <laughs> so she's just going to be on every week. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, when we have vacations and stuff, we'll have guests occasionally. But for the most part, it's going to be the Amanda and Jen show. Jazz hands. Jazz hands. <laughs> so if you are new to Get Booked, uh, just a quick explanation of how the podcast works. You can write in your recommendation requests. Uh, they can be for you. They can be for gifts. They can be for your book club. They can be for whatever. Um, and we will get to every question uh, that we can. So if you have a, a, a reading recommendation that you need for yourself or somebody else, you can send it to us uh, via email, getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can just go to Book Riot and uh navigate to the get booked page and at the bottom of every post there's a form that uh, you can drop your question into and we will get it that way so that's yeah (laughs) yay that's our story that's our story and we are sticking to it something like that (laughs) i don't know it's the first day back after (laughs) vacation book riot closes from christmas till new year's and so i took a week and did absolutely nothing and i still haven't really turned my brain back on Entirely. We'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. I'm mm-hmm. finding, I'm trying to remember what day it is. Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question and then we will do our first sponsor and then we will get to the answers to that first question. So this is from Rebecca and her question is, hello, I have a friend who claims he doesn't like reading fiction, which was taken as a personal challenge by me. He's currently working on his PhD in math and number theory, which is a subject I know nothing about. I recently recommended The Martian by Andy Weir, but was wondering if there were any other works of fiction that math geeks might enjoy. And again, that is from Rebecca. So we will go ahead and do our first sponsor, and then we will get to our answers to your question, Rebecca. Our first sponsor is The Lady's Command by Stephanie Lawrence. Ooh, both the sponsors this week are romance novels, and I just love that so much. It makes me very happy. Um, so this is the first story in a brand new four-book Regency-era historical romance series uh, by Stephanie Lawrence, who is a New York Times bestselling author. The new series is called The Adventurer's Quartet, and it follows four brothers who go on these amazing seafaring adventures and also adventures of the heart, as one does. So this is set in the same, uh, like, historical world as Lauren's uh, Sinster series. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I've never said it out loud, but the C-Y-N-S-T-E-R series. 
uh, in Scotland. And the hero and the heroine of the Ladies' Command were first introduced in the Lady Risks All. So if you've read that, then you will be a little familiar with these characters. And the, the cool thing about this particular book is that the characters start off married, which is kind of unusual for a romance Ooh, novel. Yeah. yeah, it's fancy. So uh, <laughs> the hero's name is Declan. He marries a woman named Edwina. And he is the scion of the seafaring family. And he's, you know, like in charge of everything and he's very bold and used to getting his way and going on all these adventures and he marries this woman thinking that she will provide him with their traditional marriage like she's pretty and she he can take her to like social functions and she will t- keep his house while he's away and all that stuff but when he's recruited to sail on the secret mis- mission when they're just like a few weeks into their marriage she declares that she's going with him because she's bored and she wants to and he doesn't really know what to do with that so they're married but they barely know each other and it's really in the heat of this like ocean voyage and adventure that they learn how to actually fall in love and make their marriage work. So that's a cool kind of twist on the on the sort of traditional romance, not formula, but, you know, setup. up. Like, I haven't read, I think I've only read one romance novel, actually, where um, the couple was married. And that was uh, An Affair Before Christmas, I think, by Eloisa James about a, yeah. a couple that, yeah, they hate each other and they fall back in love and it's all very nice. But <laughs> I've read a few. I've read a few where they get married within the first couple chapters, like Marriage of Convenience, yes. and then they have to learn to love each other. That's a thing. That's yeah. a thing. I, like I have it. not it's read nice. any on a boat before, though, so I'm excited about this. <laughs> oh, no, but I'm not going to sing. I'm not going <laughs> to sing on a boat. Resist. Right resist. Now. Okay, so, so thank you very much to The Ladies' Command by Stephanie Lawrence for sponsoring the show, and do check that out. Okay, so question um math books you go first yeah fiction math books yeah this is an interesting one um my first thought was a guide for the perplexed by dara horn which i just absolutely loved when it came out um the main character is a software prodigy named josie ashkenazi she's got a very analytical scientific mind um and the book sort of revolves around this trip she takes to Egypt to help out uh, a library that wants her to come and consult. And then she is kidnapped because it's, um, you know, sort of present day post-revolutionary Egypt. Um, and there's a lot of or maybe it's set slightly in the future. But in any case, there's a lot of political turmoil and she gets kidnapped. Um, and then but the book also goes back and forth in time. So Maimonides, the you know scholar, um, has a section and um, a 20th century Cambridge scholar has a section. And the whole book is about the way that memory and science interact and how, what it's like to try to resolve theory with actual life. Uh, I just thought it was so fascinating and so well done. And if you have an analytical mind, I think it's a really fascinating look at what fiction can do with that type of character. Okay, so my first thought for this was The Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Ogawa. And I think uh, Stephen Snyder is the translator. Um, so this is obviously a book about a housekeeper and a professor. The professor is, he's a math professor. He has this big traumatizing head injury, which affects his memory. So he can only remember things, um, that happened within the last like hour and 20 minutes. So that's, that's the memory he lives with is an 80 minute short term memory. So he's got a housekeeper who herself has a little, a little boy who's 10 years old. She's hired to take care of him. And of course, every morning when she shows up at his house, he has no idea who she is because it's been longer than 80 minutes. So they meet each other anew, sort of. I mean, she obviously knows what she's doing, but he doesn't know who she is. And so they have this really odd, but functional and sort of lovely relationship um, that happens. So if you've taken any like psychology classes or anything like that in college, you, you probably heard lots of stories of stuff like this when you're studying like how the brain works of people who lose their short-term memory, but have these 
really odd long-term memory where they develop these new um, like intellectual talents or stuff like that. So his mind still functions as like a brilliant math person. So he's got all of this theoretical stuff in his head that he's still grappling with and he's still um, analyzing and thinking about and working on, but he just can't remember like where he left his dinner plate kind of thing. And he starts making all these odd connections between like uh, simple numbers in his life, like the shoe, the size of the housekeeper's shoes and like how the universe functions and all this stuff. So as like you do, right. So as one does. Um, so the book is about their relationship and his mind and how it works now and the connection that they make together despite the fact that he like never remembers who she is and his memories getting worse and worse and it's just really interesting and I think somebody who uh whose mind works this way I, I, I mean it's a stereotype but people who are really really good at math of course the stereotype is that they're not great at like or really anyone who's really very intellectual and lives in their head a lot can forget the details of daily life and this book takes that and kind of flips it on its head a little bit, um, like takes it to an extreme and then makes the relationship really beautiful anyway. So yeah, that's my first pick for that one. Nice. Uh, my next pick is one I actually haven't read, but as I was looking around um, for books to recommend for this question, I, it kept coming up and now I really want to read it. It's the play Arcadia by Tom Stoppard. Uh, the main character is a young woman who's obsessed with math and science. And the whole play apparently revolves around philosophical and scientific concepts. And it was named one of the best science-related works ever written. So like, I consider myself very intrigued by that. And Tom mm -hmm. Stoppard is obviously a genius. Um, um, but I thought a play would also be an interesting structure for somebody who enjoys theory because it's a very different kind of reading experience from, you know, a straight up novel. So, yeah, that, that one I think would be a very interesting wreck. Okay, my other one for this was Catalyst by Laurie Hulse Anderson. And so this is YA. And I was thinking that somebody who doesn't like reading fiction might be more um, willing to try a young adult novel because, well, they're just shorter and um, might be, I don't know, faster to get through, especially if for a person who is working on a PhD right now, maybe a YA novel is like all they can handle, which is cool. Um, so Laurie Hulse Anderson wrote Speak, which is a like much beloved classic of uh, young adult literature. And this book is set in that same community where the those characters live. Uh, it's about a girl named Kate. She is a science and math genius. She's also a long distance runner and a preacher's daughter and all of these excellent things. Um, she has a boyfriend who is early decision at Harvard. Like her life is just very structured and she is not really into feeling her feelings and <sighs> she is kind of in charge of taking care of her family. And she's just had to grow up and take on a lot of responsibility um, before she really should have. So she organizes her life like, like it's a, like it's a periodic table. She puts, she compartmentalizes everything so she can deal with the craziness of her life. Um, and then a bunch of huge things happen. Her neighbors, house burns down and her neighbor's family moves in to her house and she has to share a room with a, a girl named Terry and Terry's little brother and Terry is like her arch nemesis so now she's sharing a room with someone she hates um she's only applied to one college MIT and she's like frantically waiting to hear back from them and then there's another big event that well, you have spoilers or whatever um that like blows apart her ability to control her very ordered uh world so it's got a math genius and um a math genius who is really stressed out about school, which your your friend is getting a PhD, so they he might relate to that a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's Catalyst, Lori Hall Sanderson. Woohoo! Nice. That's it. Okay, you want to read question two? Yeah, yeah, I'll okay. read question two. 
Hey there, Book Riot. I'm a huge fan of the late, great Terry Pratchett. As you can imagine, I was devastated by his death. Yes, I I feel your pain. Um, Although I'm glad his family has decided not to continue writing and publishing Discworld novels. However, I need new, wacky, British-esque fantasy. What do you recommend for the Pratchett fan who already owns all 30-odd Discworld books? And that question is from Sammy. Uh, Do you want to go first or should I go first? Uh, you go first. I'll go first. Yeah. Okay. My first recommendation for you is Nick Harkaway. Have you read Nick Harkaway? He's great. Yes. Um, <laughs> Angel Maker. I've only read Angel Maker, but I oh, loved it really? so much. Yeah, I've read everything <laughs> several times. Uh, <laughs> just saying. So his first book, The Gone Away World, is a sort of post-apocalyptic romp. Um, the setting is a world that is in the aftermath of a huge world war, um, And the weapon of choice was a thing called the go-away bomb that literally disappeared anything in its blast radius. But then, of course, there are side effects to this. Um, And then Angel Maker is a sort of almost steampunky espionage con man book. And then Tiger Man is a retired, well, he's not exactly retired, sort of put out to pasture veteran who finds himself sucked into this uh, sort of local conflict that proves to have international repercussions. So that's just to give you a feel for the range. Um, But he is so smart and so funny. Um, And his books pack a serious punch, I think, like Pratchett, but they're also very entertaining to read. So I definitely, definitely recommend him. So my first pick for this might be a little obvious, but when you said wacky British-esque fantasy, my brain immediately went to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, by Douglas Adams, uh, which I feel like a Pratchett fan would have probably already read this, but just in case you haven't, please go read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I love this book so much. Well, it's a series. I've read them all. I love the whole thing. Um, And it's just wacky. Like, there's no... How do you even... Okay, so, like, trying to give a synopsis for The Hitchhiker's Guide might be the thing that destroys me. Um, (laughs) So, it's about a a pair of friends, Arthur Dent and his friend Ford. Ford is a researcher who's writing a revised edition of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And um, Earth is destroyed to make way for, like, a galactic highway. And Ford goes and saves his friend Arthur and plucks him off the planet. And then they go on these wacky journeys through space. And they're accompanied by, like the president of the galaxy and his girlfriend Chillian, who Arthur like tried to sleep with once and a paranoid robot who has chronic depression and like a graduate student who's really obsessed with where his pens went and nothing is as it appears and everything turns into something else and it's just so bizarre <laughs> and like everyone's obsessed with towels I don't know it's um wacky I can't even it's wacky it's wacky <laughs> Have you read his other series, the Dirk Gently books? I read one of them. The, I um, love those two a whole lot. They're mystery books, but with like a super wacky, haha, um, yeah, take on them. And they're so fun. There's like Norse gods popping out of the woodwork and like weird demons and record contracts. And the whole thing is just awesome. Yeah, the way that Douglas added like his brain, the way that it works, oh, yeah. it's just hel- it's hilarious. And that yeah. same kind of Terry Pratchett, like silly, what? Okay, <laughs> kind of way. So, yeah. For sure. Uh, So my next pick is How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. It's not as straight up wacky as the other authors we've been talking about. He is more of a sly humor, um, but they are very smart and very funny. Um, So How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe is about a time travel machine repairman uh, named Charles Yu. Um, So it's kind of a meta novel that has meta in it as well. Um, And in the course of him 
you know, repairing time machines across all of the known universes, which include things like the universe in which Luke Skywalker is real or um, just weird other dimensions. Uh, he is also trying to find his father who disappeared in a time travel early experiment when he was a boy. So there's some real emotional weight to it, but like the hijinks that he gets into as he is traveling across the galaxy, repairing time machines or not repairing them, like dodging work and like talking to his computer and petting his imaginary dog. Um, very, very, very entertaining, very smart. Okay, so my second pick for this is The Air Affair by Jasper Fjord, which is the first book in a, the Thursday Next series. And Thursday Next is a character who is a special operative in literary detection. Uh, in this universe, the works of classic literature are alive. And not just alive, they're like the world is built around them. Um, so Jane Eyre, the character Jane Eyre, is removed from the pages of the book Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte's novel, and Thursday has to go track down the person who has kidnapped Jane Eyre and taken her out of um, the Bronte book. And she has to go into the book herself in order to, to make it happen. It sounds a little bit confusing. So it's Great Britain in 1985. There's time travel and cloning and a lot of weirdness like that. So it is quite wacky and funny. But if you're a, a reader, uh, which I, obviously you are if you've read all of Terry Pratchett's books, then there's a lot of like winks and nods and not even inside, inside and outside jokes about books that you will find totally delightful in this entire series because they're, it's just an homage, a wacky homage to literature in general with a dose of British uh, kooky humor. So I think you'd like that a lot. Yeah, Jasper Ford's great. Um, so my third suggestion for you, which I feel like you may have already read, but just in case, um, is basically anything by Christopher Moore. He is sort of, you know, an American comedic author who has a very similar sensibility. Um, his book, Dirty Job, is my favorite. Uh, it's it's um, about a guy who becomes an agent of death, uh, sort of against his will. Um, and it is hysterically funny um, and, like, contains all of these bizarre, like, underworld scenes, but also, like, just everyday stuff in San Francisco. Um and Moore has written so many books, like all of the authors that I've recommended so far only have a couple books under their belt, which I know is hard when you're looking for like a giant series to take the place of another giant series. So Christopher Moore, just the sheer breadth of his writing is a good addition to your shelves because he has written so many books. Um, I, my, my last one is also something that you probably already read, but just in case, here we go. Uh, pretty much anything by Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman has wrote, uh, written things with Terry Pratchett before he died. So there's that connection. So you can read those works if you wanted to, but he's also just like super prolific. There aren't a lot of big series unless you count Sandman, uh, which is his graphic novel or comic book series, which is so long running now. Um, so if you, if you're looking for something specifically to replace Discworld, Neil Gaiman is probably not going to give it to you, but he does have so many other books that really there's like something to scratch pretty much any itch there. And I don't know that I would describe him as wacky. No, I definitely I wouldn't describe Neil Gaiman's work as wacky. His humor's a little bit uh, darker and more serious, but it's still British-esque fantasy. And he does the same thing that Pratchett does with like taking classic mythological figures and injecting them into into life 
kind of updated life in a way that is like accessible and funny and strange and heartwarming and odd. Um, so he does that in American Gods. And but I the most recent book that he wrote, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, I really liked, and I think it would be a good Pratchett, um, not read alike, but see compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's short. It's about a little boy who lives uh, in Sussex at a farmhouse and his neighbor, um, he realizes his neighbors are possibly immortal beings who are like defending all of the world against infiltrating evil that lives in their farmhouse. It's just very strange and kooky and weird, um, but dark and a little creepy, to be honest, um, which Pratchett generally is. I would say very creepy. Yeah, creepy, right. Neil Gaiman is so good at writing children who are just scary, even Mm -hmm. though they don't mean to be, who are scared for you. or you are scared through them, scared by proxy, scared by child proxy. <laughs> anyway, so just, yeah, anything by Neil Gaiman. And if you do want to, if you're into um, comic books at all, then the Sandman series is a classic, and I think you'd probably like it. All right, question three. Who is this? This is from Lauren. <clears throat> Let's see. My husband is in the Air Force and just started a six-month deployment to the Middle East. He has an e-reader with him and is running out of ideas of what to read next. He likes authors like David Baldacci, Dean Kuntz, and Stieg Larsson, and has read all of their books. Any recommendations for him to make the time apart go faster would be great. So, yeah, that's Lauren again. And why don't you go first with this one? Okay. Okay. No, you should go first because you have more than I do. Oh, okay. Yes, I do. All right. So my first pick was The Unquiet Dead by Ozma Zahinat Khan, which was one of my favorite books of 2015. And obviously your husband is into mysteries. And this is a whodunit set in Canada. Mm, Excuse me. Um, The two detectives are on um, what's like a, hmm, not a committee, but a special unit in the homicide uh, department that deals with minority (laughs) cases or cases that have like political um possible political complications so they get called to this murder scene or a crime scene of what looks like a man accidentally falling off the cliffs outside of his house so they of course don't understand what they're doing there because it obviously looks like an accident and then they find out that not only is it possibly murder but that the man who is living in this canadian town was not who he seemed, but might have possibly been a Bosnian war criminal. So that's why this like special minority unit was called in to deal with this case. And so they start investigating this crime, and it's interspersed with their investigations in present day and flashbacks to the Srebrenica massacre of the Bosnian war, which, um, if you remember, was a horrific, I mean, obviously it's a massacre, it was this horrific, um, essentially, war crime. And they suspect that this man had something to do with that massacre. And so you're following these detectives as they determine whether or not he was that that man and who in the community both knew it and killed him. So there's a lot of like, was it revenge? Was it for the money? Was he being blackmailed? That kind of thing. And it's very fast paced, but also has a lot of um, really relevant to right now, like political implications and religious implications. And I just loved it so much. The writing is really, really great. And I did not see the ending coming, which to me is the sign of a really great whodunit because I'm usually okay at like figuring that stuff out. I had no idea. No idea. Uh, So yeah, that's my first one. Nice. Uh, So my first one is one I came across very recently. I found it on vacation um, called The Keeper of Lost Causes by... UC Adler Olson, I believe is how you say that. Um, and it's a good Steve, Steve Larson comp. It's another Scandinavian crime author. Um, this series is set in Denmark. And it follows a lead inspector who has um, been involved 
in a traumatizing incident, he's lost both of his partners um, and the department kind of doesn't know what to do with him. And then there's this political movement to start a new department that's going to review old cold cases. So he gets put in charge of this. Um, and the first case that he decides to tackle is one of a missing uh, poli- politician, a woman who disappeared several years before. Um, and uh it's it's really well done, I think, actually. Um, the pacing is interesting. There's a couple different viewpoints that go back and forth. Um, I don't want to say what they are for fear of spoilers, but, um, yeah. And uh, it's, I mean, it's got that Scandinavian sort of feel to it that people are so in love with. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the main character is, like, that, you know, kind of classic, like, bristly, sort of repressing all of his serious feelings (laughs) character who also is, you know, like a genuinely good person who's, you know, tries to notice things. And, um, there's a sidekick who I really absolutely love, um, a man who was uh, fleeing Syria um, and is so theoretically the janitor slash assistant for the department, but who becomes increasingly more important to the investigations as they go along. Uh, so yes, that is my first pick for that. Okay, my second one is called Wolf Winter, and it's by Cecilia Ekbach. And I picked this because of the Steve Larson thing. If you like, if he likes these the cold weather, dark and brooding kind of whodunits, then I think um, Wolf Winter will be interesting. It's his, it's a historical mystery, so it takes place in the Swedish Lapland in, in the 18th century. And it's about a family. Um, the, the wife's name is Maja and her husband Pavo. They have two daughters, Frederica and Dorotea, and they move to Sweden from Finland, kind of trying to move on from these horrible things that happened in their past and put down new roots. And they move uh, into a very tiny, tiny little village at the base of a mountain. When they first move in, The oldest daughter finds a mutilated dead body up on the mountain when she's herding the family's goats, Um, and it turns out to be one of their new neighbors. The death is sort of dismissed as a wolf attack, but Maja, the wife, after looking at the body, feels really certain that it could could have been committed by a person. Like, there's no signs that it was an animal attack. He doesn't have any defensive wounds, this kind of thing. So she really gets convinced that there's a murderer in their village and then it starts to snow. And in the Swedish Lapland, that means that like everyone is stuck. And then it turns out to be what's called a wolf winter, which is the wor- one of the worst winters in uh, recent memory or that anyone in the village can remember. And so not only is she stuck, is her family stuck in this village now with someone who she thinks is probably a killer. But of course there are all of these secrets that are coming to light. And then her husband leaves to go find work um, back in like their hometown. So she is, left by herself in the dark because it's Sweden in winter um, and the sun does not shine anymore. So she's left in the dark. Her house is surrounded by snow. She has to feed her family, her kids. She has to um, find food, keep everybody from being frostbitten. Wolves start coming down off the mountain. Uh, There's some, like conflict with some uh, some of the indigenous people who live in the Laplands. And then of course, somebody out there is killing people, which is inconvenient. Uh, considering their circumstances. And so the thing I like about this book is that a lot of these cold cold weather thrillers, the stuff that takes place in like Scandinavia and stuff like that, has like what you were talking about, Jen, like this gruff detective guy who's mm-hmm. like out to solve a crime. But this is just a really gruff, strong woman, mother, who has to shove down all of her feelings and her terror and her fear to protect her kids um, from all of these things, starvation, snow, wolves, actual human person who wants to kill them for who knows why. They just moved here. What did I ever do to you? This kind of thing. Um, So it's very foreboding and dark and creepy, and I just really liked it. 
And now is a great time to read it, honestly. In January. <laughs> yeah, it got super cold all of a sudden yeah, after our, like our warm, warm winter. <laughs> Hopefully no wolves show up in my backyard, though. No, no. Um, okay, so my second pick for this question is Sacred Games by Vikram Chandra. Uh, it is so long, first of all. Like, it's a really long book, which I find is great. If you're like, you just have time and you need something to read and get immersed in, it's amazing. Um, and it was one of my favorite books I read last year, although it was published mm, several years before that. But anyway, it takes place in India and it follows an inspector who's kind of a small time, like he's not, and he's not, you know, suffering from any PTSD, like he's not really an alcoholic, like he's getting divorced and his life is not great. And he's working on all these tiny local crimes and slowly but surely, he gets sucked into this much broader, like, international, high intrigue and espionage case. Um, and the book does such an incredible job of weaving all of these things together and keeping it centered, even though it starts to jump around from character to character and, like, time frame to time frame. Um, it is just, I just thought it was amazing. It was a really incredible reading experience. Uh, cannot recommend it highly enough. All right. Uh, you want to read question four? It's your turn, yes? Yes. All right, go for it. Okay. So this question is from Kendra. I wanted to make 2016 a year of international literature, hoping to read mostly translated books. While I have read numerous translated classics, I want to catch up on more modern literature from across the globe. Uh, I discovered writers Elena Ferrante and Carlos Ruiz Zafon, read and loved both. Uh, my current list of books for next year is woefully thin. I also found Anne Morgan's project where she read a book from every country in the world, but I don't see any mention of the quality of the translations, a valid question. Um, or if she enjoyed the books, if you have any books in translation that you loved and enjoyed, please let me know. We definitely do have some of those. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few. I have a couple. Um, Just a couple. So this year, I am one of the judges for the Best Translated Book Award for 2016. So this is all I've been reading, basically, is books in translation for um, like eight months which is a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I've got a couple for you. The first one is The Merman by Carl Johan Valgren. And the name of the translator is, can you hear me typing? Because I forgot <laughs> to write it down. Oh, they don't have it. I don't remember. Whatever. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, the name of the translator. Um, so this is from Pegasus, and it's such a beautiful book. Like, the cover is just amazing. Not that that matters. It does matter. It matters to me. Um, this is about a girl named Nella. And her brother Robert, who live on the the west coast of Sweden, and they have a really horrible kind of existence. Robert, uh, they're both violently tormented at school, like really violently bullied. Um, their mother is an alcoholic who is not functional and is not caring for them at all, spends most of her day in a drunken stupor, and their dad is in prison. So Nella is in high school, I think she's 15, and she does what she has to to keep her brother and her safe and fed and alive. She steals... Um, commits a lot of like little petty crimes uh the people who are tormenting her and her brother uh will offer to be paid off you know if you pay me whatever then we'll leave you alone so she started resorting to like debt and whatever petty crime to, to get these people off of her brother's back she turns to her friend tommy for help she goes to his house he lives in a, a fishing community his brothers are fishermen and she goes off to their fishing shed to talk to him and while she's there she discovers in this boathouse um that her, him and tommy and his brothers are coming and going at weird hours of the night the lights are all off something's obviously happening so she goes she sneaks in to find out what they're hiding assuming that it's like you know black market cigarettes or booze or drugs or something like that and she finds a merman which is bizarre because in the world of this book this isn't a fairy tale this isn't like um 
you know, mythological creature comes to save the day. This is a, a book about, like, how horrible humanity is, basically. <laughs> oh, and, like, kind of trigger warning here. If you have trouble reading about, like, animal abuse, the book opens with a cat being set on fire. So it's, like, tough stuff. Like, this is not an easy read. Um, so she finds this merman that the brothers of her best friend accidentally caught when they were out fishing and have since been, um, like, torturing and abusing and, uh, like, taking money to let people come in and look at it and that sort of thing. And the girl, Nella, develops this kind of psychic connection with the merman. He has this ability. He can't speak, but he can, like, project his emotions and into her mind. So she knows what he's thinking and what he wants, and, sh- and he- she can do the same thing to him. He can read her mind. So she wants to... Nella's a good person, and she wants to save this creature and take him home, but she doesn't know how, and the circumstances of her life mean that she doesn't have any resources to help him. And so it's a book about both, both like the horribleness of humanity, but also the great compassion and capabilities for being good that humanity has. And it's so, so it's like 250 pages, but it just wrecked me for both reasons, like for how much I love people and how much I hate people. Um, <laughs> so if you like, man, just it'll get under your skin. It's difficult and bleak. And I just loved it so much. It's strange and lovely and weird and awful in a great way. So that's my first pick. <laughs> nice. Um, I am going to recommend anything written by Natsuo Kirino, uh, who is a Japanese writer. She is amazing. Uh, the first book I read by her also deserves some trigger warnings. It's called Out. So good. <laughs> so good, right? It's a noir. It's about these women who work in a food processing factory and, uh... One of them kills someone and they all help dispose of the body and things. That's like just the beginning. Like that's not a spoiler. That's like the first, you know, chapter or something. Um, It all happens very quickly. Um, There is a lot of violence. There's some graphic abuse. Like it is a dark, dark, scary horrifying, wonderfully written book. Um, And she's also written a bunch of other stuff, including a book for the Canongate mythology series. I don't know if you're aware of, but that would be an interesting to look into too. They take, they offer writers a chance to rewrite sort of any myth they want. And lots of interesting writers have written for them. Um, Jeanette Winterson has done one. Um, There's just a bunch of them, but she wrote one of those as well. I believe it was called The Goddess Chronicles. Um, And it's sort of a beautiful island mythology two sisters but again very she's she's not a light-hearted happy writer no sorry, sorry but she's really good <laughs> uh, none of mine are light-hearted now that <laughs> I'm looking at these are all really like heavy uh, but I love whatever okay so the second my second recommendation is a book I actually just finished it's the Merceau Mersault Merceau investigation so thank yeah. you the Merceau investigation uh by Kamel Dumad or Dowd Kamel Dowd sorry D-A-O-U-D and the translator is John Cullen um so this is kind of a accompaniment to Camus novel The Stranger which if you've read it is about a white man in Algeria who shoots and kills an Arab man on a beach for no good reason uh and then it's like the story of his trial and his like search for meaning and God and all of this stuff. And the Merceau investigation is told from the point of view of the brother of the Arab, in quotes, who is killed uh, in Camus' novel. And so it, the conceit here is that the brother is sitting, in, is sitting at a bar telling this story to strangers every night about how brokenhearted he is about his brother's death and uh, his anger with... Um, the uh, he doesn't name him, but the the murderer in the stranger, and the point that he makes is that you know in the stranger the quote unquote Arab is the person who's killed the victim of a murder is never given a name and he's never really 
mentioned again, really, except for in as much as how his death has affected the the white narrator of the book. So it's a really important thing. And I've read The Stranger. I read it. I mean, it's been like a decade, but none of this ever. I never noticed any of this. I was, you know, caught up in like the whatever existentialness of The Stranger. And I never noticed that here's this white man killing a, a person of color and then never even like naming him and how problematic that was in the like colonialism in Algeria and all this stuff. So it's an important book, this one, but it's also just really good and heartbreaking and humanizing. And I just loved it a lot. And um, I think it came out this year. Well, yes, obviously it did because I'm reading it for this prize. So yeah, it came out this year. Um, so yeah, check that out. Even even if you haven't read The Stranger, I don't think it's really necessary as long as you, you know kind of the background of the book. Um, which is I, I have given you, so now you do know it, and there it is. <laughs> Good to go. There you go. Um, my next recommendation is Sijin Liu, uh, who is the author of the three. Do- excuse me, the three body problem, which is the first book in a series. Are the next two out, or is just is it just the second one? That's I think out? the second one is out. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely going to be a trilogy at least. Um, so science fiction, do you like science fiction? Because here it is. It's an amazing, The Three-Body Problem is a really intense book um, about, uh, let's see, there's a police inspector and also a mathematician and a bunch of different people who all come to be working on what they think initially is a video game, but which turns out not to just be a video game. It's actually maybe in a message from aliens. Um, and it is an incredibly sweeping really thought-provoking, epic science fiction story um, that is just, you know, beginning to unfold. Um, And he is just, I mean, his brain is amazing. Yes. Like, it's you're just like, what? What? (laughs) What's happening? It's such a trip. It's such a trip. trip. Yeah, it's really kind of, and like also kind of unnerving. Um, But yeah, and there's, there's actually a decent amount of action in them. They're really good. And they do look into the history of, China and like, you know, um, there's bits of history, you know, from Mao and the revolution that get pulled in. Um, and it, so it is a really broad, like it covers so much stuff and also very mathematical and analytical and sciencey and oh, they're just really, really intense and awesome. Okay, my last pick for this is The Complete Stories by Clarice Lispector, and this is a new edition from New Directions, which sub-point pretty much anything in translation from New Directions, which is a small press independent publisher, um, is going to be awesome. So if you want, like, you don't know where to start with modern stuff in translation, a good way to do it is to just find a really great publisher and dive into their catalog, and this is a really good one. So anyway, uh, this in 2015, they put out this new collection of Clarice Lispector's complete short stories, and she is a, I don't know, if, she's not really been, a, like, dead long enough to be considered a classic, I guess. I think she died in the 70s, but well, I'll say classic. Classic uh, Brazilian writer, kind of this big legend in Brazilian literature. And she put out nine short story collections in her life, and this book pulls from all of those. Um obviously, because it's the complete short stories. And the thing that I think that you'll like about Clarice Lispector is if you've read the Elena Ferrante, which you said that you have and you liked it a lot, then I think you'll really like Clarice's heart because she she focuses a lot on the interior lives of women, which is not just rare in literature in general, but it is super rare in literature and translation. Only 3% of the books published in the U.S. every year are in translation, and even less than that, much less than that, is uh, from female authors. And then even less than that is from female authors about female characters. So uh, it's kind of a rarity, and all of her stories are like that. And she wrote, she started writing when she was 
really, really young, I think in her late teens, or early 20s, and continued writing all up through until, until she died in the 70s. And so her characters age kind of with her. So you'll start um, with like lovelorn teens who are going into really, who are like awkwardly understanding their sexuality for their first time and their power as writers and all that to housewives who are having really um, difficult times, you know, dealing with the boredom of their day and then, you know, up to the elderly who don't know what to do with themselves anymore now that they've retired. And it really covers the entire spectrum of the human experience in modern life and the entire spectrum of, of, a, of a woman's experience in modern life. And I love her so intensely. And it's a huge book. It's almost 700 pages. Um, but it's a great bedside read. If you if you do that, I like to keep a collection of short stories or essays by my bed and just read one a night. And this will get you through for, for quite a while. Um, but you'll really like it. So yeah, Clarice Lispector. Nice. Um, so my next pick for you is one I'm just adding, um, <laughs> actually, because I was like, oh, wait, this one. Uh, it's Kalpa Imperial by Angelica Gurdisher. And it was translated, wait for it, by U- Ursula Le Guin, Whoa. who is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gurdisher is uh, an Argentinian writer, um, which is why I thought of it a little bit. Um, and it is... Kelpa Imperial is a really intense, interesting book. It is, uh, it's sort of a collection of stories that all come together to form a whole novel. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's very like sort of surreal. Like I'm not sure some of it is a little sciencey, some of it is a little fantasy. Um, but if you like mythology, if you like short story collections, or if you're just intrigued by the idea of reading something translated by Ursula Le Guin, who is an award-winning writer in her own right, you definitely should pick this up. Um, it's got like an empire. It's, it, it follows all of these different stages of this one empire. And it's just fascinating. Um, and then I also wanted to throw in there that, I mean, you've already read Ferrante. Anything by uh, Europa Press, published by Europa, um, is just like a, basically a shoe in They also publish Alina Bronsky, who, is a, who writes in German, who's a favorite of mine. Um, they just have a ton of different things that they publish, like different genres, um, different authors, different countries. I think it's their, they have really solid translators. It's a good press. Okay. All right. Time for our second sponsor. And Jen is going to talk about this because oh, yeah. she's read it already. So excited. I saw this on the list and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? We're going to talk about The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean. Yay! <laughs> right in front of me right here. It's the first book in her new series, The Scandal and Scoundrel series, um, which are Regency romances inspired in part by celebrity and gossip and like the Kardashians, for example. So um, it's a really interesting premise. So this first book follows Sophie, who is the theoretically least interesting of the very scandalous Talbot sisters. Um, The family came up from like coal mining. And so they are nouveau riche who are not very well accepted in society. So they're already like people already think they're not good enough to be part of society. And then the sisters are very scandalous. And Sophie just kind of wants to be left alone. Um, But in the course of a garden party, she finds her brother-in-law cheating on her sister in like a, in a greenhouse and (laughs) pushes him into a goldfish pond in front of everyone. And he's like a very powerful man and he declares that he's going to ruin her. So she tries to flee um, and accidentally lands herself in the carriage of a known sort of wastrel, wastrel. and things yes. unfold from there. 
<laughs> so yes, uh, I have read everything Sarah's written. I'm really excited for this new series um, because I think the idea of like dealing with celebrity, but in a sort of historical context, is fascinating. Um, it's it's a really it's a really fun book, and I have to say that I mean it's so hard to have favorite heroines because I feel like every romance I read, my heroine is the new favorite. Yeah. But Sophie's a really good heroine. She's like not only very sort of snappy, but she also just loves books. Like she just wants to own a bookshop. She just wants to be left alone. Like she doesn't want the notoriety and like she doesn't want to go to balls. Like she's kind of not your typical uh, Regency heroine. So I think uh, she's, it's a really fun pickup point. If you haven't read Sarah, if you have read Sarah, you're in for a total treat. Um, You will not be disappointed. Yeah. They're just great. Hooray. Hooray. Sarah McLean is a much-loved Book Riot favorite. And she was actually been on an episode of Get Booked that we recorded live at Book Riot Live in November. We did an all-romance episode, and she was my guest. So I'll drop the link to that in the show notes as well. If you need romance recommendations, obviously start with Sarah McLean, and then you can listen to the show that she recorded with me for more after that. Okay, so thank you to the Rogue Not Taken. So question five. This one is a little bit heavier. This is from Roberta. Uh, Let's see. This time I need a recommendation for overcoming grief. My friend recently lost a dear friend to suicide, and now that it's been a month, she came to me for some book recs to get back into reading and get back on her feet. I have no idea what to suggest. Thanks a million. So that's um, from Roberta. Okay, so my first pick for this um, is When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. And we've talked about this before, and if you listen to the other, the mainline Book Riot podcast, you've probably heard Rebecca talk about this book. It's one of her favorites, but I really love this. It's about, it's kind of a memoir-ish. Terry Tempest Williams' mother developed cancer and died kind of unexpectedly when she was really young and left all of her journals, rows and rows uh, on a bookshelf of journals to Terry Tempest Williams and said, I'm leaving you these, but you can't read them until I'm gone. So she she died, and then after a mourning period, she Terry went back to read her journals and realized that all of them were empty. So she had been for years buying journals and not writing in them and just putting them on shelves and then leaving them to her daughter and not telling her what her motivation was for any of that. So it's a meditation on not just grief, but also on like the concept of, of having a voice and what it means to use it when you're alive or not use it when you're alive. And I think that no matter how you've lost somebody working through that kind of, um, the kind of things that you feel when someone is suddenly gone from you, who you expected to have around for a lot longer and who can no longer speak to you about anything and maybe made that decision. I mean, I know that there's not a comparison between somebody leaving you blank journals and somebody committing suicide, but they're, they're, they both made a choice not to say a thing anymore, you know. And so I think that that might be kind of helpful or comforting or in some way um, help somebody get back into reading a little bit because it's a, it's a thought that would really affect me, I think, um, in either situation. And the book itself is really, really beautiful. And the chapters are very short. It's The subtitle is 54 Variations on Voice. So it's 54 really small, um, easy to read kind of snippets that if someone's having difficulty getting back into reading, I think would be a, a nice way to ease back into it. Yeah, this is, I mean, obviously it's a hard question to answer because everybody who's dealing with grief wants something a little different. Like, do you want books about that are going to help you understand the motivations of the person who's now gone? Um, and there are a lot of great books about suicide. Um, I, I, but not knowing what she wants to get back to reading, um, 
I went for a little more generalist approach. So my first pick always for people who are going through emotional turmoil is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. It's a a sort of essay collection um, that came out of her time writing the advice column, uh, Dear Sugar, for The Rumpus. Um, It contains some that weren't online. And it just, she just covers so much ground because the questions that were written, written into her were so broad. So some of them are as simple as like, you know, what the fuck. And then some of them are very detailed and they can be about, you know, grief or trauma or personal relationships and all of these things. Um, and sometimes, honestly, it's the ones that have the least to do with you that are the most affecting. Um, and uh, it's just a really good book for if you have a lot of emotions and you don't know what to do with them. Um, this is the book that I always suggest. So. I second that. Uh, and yeah. I think one of the things that I really love about Tiny Beautiful Things is Cheryl Strayed lets you have your feelings mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. is fine with it. Like, no matter what you're feeling about the thing, she's going to let you do it without feeling like you need to get a grip or you need to whatever, you know. Right. So you're not doing it wrong. Right. Exactly. Like, your feelings are your feelings. And then you go from there. Right. So my second pick for this is Traveling Mercies. It's by Anne Lamott. And asterisk, whatever. Uh, Anne Lamott is a Christian writer, but not in the way that that normally, like the thing that comes to your mind when someone says that she was not the thing that Anne Lamott is. Um, So this is a book about her really troubled past and how she went on this very quirky and strange and odd journey into joining a church and thoughts on her faith getting there. And um, after she got there, how she reconciles faith with some of the more difficult parts of her life, including like, people losing children, uh, her friends getting old and dying, things about her family, um, stuff like that. So even if whether or not the person that you're asking for recommendations for has faith or no, I think that this would be a good read because it's, Anne Lamott's not a, um, I'm trying to think of like a really nice way to put this because it's the same thing that I am. She's not like a, a traditional quote unquote Christian writer. Progressive Christian, right? She's progressive, yeah, but she's also very, like, irreverent and Uh, and full of doubt and full of, like, nothing about this faith right now makes any sense. You know, my friend died and I just want to burn down the world, you know, and she's not masking, she's not using her faith to get over difficult questions or grief or mourning or, or loss or any of that. She's thinking about it. That's what this book is about. It's about thinking about faith or lack of faith, doubt or lack of doubt in the darker moments of your life. And at the same time, she's just really freaking funny. So, which is a nice thing. I mean, she's talking about really big, deep questions and really hard um, topics, but she's so just like affectionate. And in the same way that Cheryl Strait is like, your feelings are fine. And Lamont is very much like your grandmother. Like, your feelings are fine. Come here and I'll make you a cookie and I will say the F word a lot. And we will talk about how much you hate God, the universe and everything. And that <laughs> it's a really comforting thing to like have a grandma who will do that for you. And so whether or not you do, Anne Lamont is it. And I just really <laughs> love her desperately. <laughs> nice. Um, so my next pick is a novel. It's Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. Um, and I was trying to think of a book that is very engrossing, but also feels like it has an emotional heft to it. And Cloud Atlas this is definitely one of those books. Um, it has, I believe it's seven interlocking narratives. Um, they all kind of spiral around each other. And when you figure out sort of how they come together, it's a really cool reading moment. Um, and one of the themes of the book is you know, personal connection, whether that's an immediate personal connection to somebody who's in your life or a sort of more broader connection to humanity or to the universe. Um, So it has like this really 
sort of lovely meditation on connection in it, which I found very comforting when I was reading it. Um, And it is just a very engrossing book. It's not an easy book, but it is one that uh, rewards the time you put into it. Um, So my last pick isn't a specific book, it's a genre. And I think that one of this is from my personal experience in going through like one of the more difficult times of my life. The thing that I only wanted to read was romance novels. I just wanted to read millions and millions of romance novels um, when I was struggling with my own kind of weird grief situation. And the reason behind that, I think, is because in romance, there's there's an emotionally satisfying ending. And it really will remind you that um, like happiness is out there. And I I don't mean that in like romance novels should be taken as reality, because obviously, obviously, like that's not true. But like love exists. You know, and there are people out there who are feeling good feelings and you can feel good feelings again. And that's a thing that is worth reminding yourself of. Um, And they're, you know, most romances are breezy to read, easy to get through. And if you're really trying to ease back into reading after uh, feeling a lot of feelings and thinking a lot of thoughts, um, I think that that's it's helpful. It was helpful for me anyway. um, I read romance novels for like three months straight and um, it helped me really like pull my head out of a really horrible situation. So. Yeah, just read same. some romance. And you can just go to Book Riot and up on the top where we have a genre drop down tab, just go to romance slash erotica and there will be bajillions of suggestions for you there. <laughs> tons and tons. Or you could read our sponsored novels. You could, we have two. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't help it. Um, okay, I have one last pick. Um, it's Get in Trouble by Kelly Link, which is a short story collection. They came out in the past, uh, I want to say, two years. Um, Kelly Link is great. She is very smart about how she writes things, and she has this knack for really dark and beautiful stories. Um, and this collection in particular has a lot of short ones in it, so it's good for a distracted attention span, which can happen when you're dealing with um, grief or turmoil. Um, and uh, they're just a really interesting range, and they're very sort of magically realist slash surreal slash fantastical. Um, so they have there's a lot of there's a lot of good um, what's the word I want like they're good for your brain to get out of wherever you are currently. If you just need to get out of your own brain, uh, she's great for that. But they're also not just like like if something if you can't deal with something that's too light, like they aren't that light. Like they have a lot of darkness in them, but also like sort of light at the end of the tunnel feels. Um, and they're just beautiful both in style and in, you know, the plots themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope your friend feels better soon. All right. Okay, should I read the next question? Last one. Okay, oh, it's our last one. Here we go. Uh, Hello, one of my all-time favorite authors is Thomas Hardy, and when I stumbled upon The French Lieutenant's Woman by John Fells, which has many Hardy allusions, I was blown away. A postmodern Victorian novel. Many other novels which I've tried, including The Crimson Petal and the White, as well as Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, just didn't do it for me. Any other suggestions? And that question is from Keisha. Okay, so we both kind of struggled with this question. Um, postmodern Victorian novel is a very specific thing, and the answer to that is The French Lieutenant's Woman, and that is about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so we popped this up, or Jen actually popped this question up on the Slack channel, our, which is our uh, internal book rights social network that we use. And so the contributors gave us a bunch of suggestions, and so I'm uh, some of mine are from the contributors I haven't read Um the second one. Anyway, the first one I have read, my first suggestion is The Fair Fight by Anna Freeman. This is not, I think it's Regency technically and not Victorian, but it's England in the 18th century. Um, and it was pitched to me when it first came out as The Crimson Petal and the White meets Fight Club. 
So even if you oh, didn't like Crimson Petal in the White... That is a really interesting description. Oh, and it's, it's so true. It's super accurate. Um, even if you didn't like Crimson Petal in the White, uh, Fight Club has its own kind of weird postmodern yeah. stuff going on. Uh, so the combination might be a thing that you enjoy. And it's about a woman named Ruth who was born into a brothel, but she's too unattractive to work uh, in that particular line. So uh, through a series of circumstances, she meets a man who's a customer of her sister's in the brothel, and he realizes that she's tough and fight and, and you know, scratch and sets her up as a female, as a bare knuckle boxer. So she's a female bare knuckle boxer in Regency England, um, and she's really good. And through a series of like underground fights, and you know, it's a really big long book in the same way that a lot of Victorian novels are. Um, she meets her patron's wife, who is a wealthy lady, like very proper. She's she's beautiful, but she's scarred from smallpox, so she doesn't go out a lot. She doesn't have a lot of friends. She's in a really horrible. Um, marriage, and she can't go anywhere, obviously, in the same way that any highborn or any woman at all at the time couldn't escape their situations, really. And um, so the boxer kind of befriends this this really upper-class woman under the guise of teaching her, of, of getting drawing lessons, but in reality, she's teaching her how to fight. So these two develop a friendship based around um, boxing, and there's a lot of it's a lot about female friendship, but it's also a lot about oppression and just all these really big, deep, kind of weird questions uh, and sexuality and violence and all of these big things. And so, yeah, Crimson Metal on the White Meets Fight Club. Really great. I liked it a lot. It was one of my favorite books of last year. Um, so give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was initially kind of stumped. But then it, as we started talking about it, I realized I had read a bunch. So I, I managed to find two um, that I think might suit you. Although I will preface this to say that I loved The Crimson Petal and the White and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Oral. So like take it for what it's worth. Um, but the first one is Drood by Dan Simmons, which is an epically long fictionalized account of the end of Charles Dickens's life from the viewpoint of Wilkie Collins. <laughs> so, like, all of the Victoriana writers in there. Um, plus, it has a lot of weird and creepy and surreal elements uh, in it. Um, sort of the premise is that, you know, Edwin Drood, maybe there was a, a kernel of truth to that novel that Dickens wrote, and and perhaps there is a person stalking Charles Dickens and or Wilkie Collins. Um, it is really odd. <laughs> yeah, it really, really odd. He's an amazing writer, <laughs> but the book is so strange. Um, but it is written in that same sort of formalized style. I mean, I think there's a lot that you could potentially like about it, um, and it is worth giving a try. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh, yes. Yes, <laughs> please, A plus good. Yeah. <laughs> We're jumping in. Um, so my second pick for this is, is an author, and this is one that the book at Slack, uh, contributors on Slack recommended, that's Sarah Waters. Uh, the first book of hers um, that was recommended was is Tipping the Velvet, and this is a Victorian novel that follows a, a girl named Nan, who is a um, like an oyster girl in a seaside town, and she falls in love with a cross-dressing music hall singer named Kitty. Kitty goes up to London to um, work in a show, and Nan follows her as her quote-unquote dresser, but as her secret lover. And eventually she puts on pants herself and kind of joins the act. And of course, over time, Kitty breaks her heart, and Nan, in order to get over her broken heart, kind of goes on this, like, goes off to learn about her own sexuality, basically. Um, so it's been compared a lot to, like, Mole Flanders and Jeanette Winterson at the same time, and then it's Victorian. So I don't I don't know if that will fill 
a like French lieutenant woman shaped hole in your heart, but it'll certainly fill part of it, I think. Um, and then there's also Fingersmith, which I haven't read, um, but is hold on, I'm looking up. Oh, that cover is great. Oh, that's right. It's um about a girl named Sue who's an orphan, and she is left in she's left in the care of this woman who runs a house of petty thieves, very Oliver Twisty, hence the name Fingersmith uh, in the London slums. And one this con man comes into the house uh, and tells Sue that she, he's going to set her up as a maid to a, a rich woman named Maud. And as long as Sue helps him seduce this woman, then they can, you know, get a cut of Maud's, you know, giant inheritance. And, you know, there's conflict. Um, and in Sarah Waters fashion, seduction and lots of steamy steaminess. Um, so, yeah, check out Sarah Waters, Fingersmith and Tipping the Velvet specifically. My second pick for you is Possession by A.S. Byatt, uh, kind of, because it's set <laughs> half in the Victorian era, and the modern half involves two scholars who are reaching, re, excuse me, they're researching the lives of these two Victorian era poets, um, and everything sort of gets overlapped and crisscrossed. A.S. Byatt is an amazing writer. Like, she's in my top five, I want to say, list of all-time favorite writers. Um, and everything she has written is worth reading. This one specifically sort of satisfies that Victoriana feel that you want. Um, but I think that it she is very, very worth your time, even though it's not a 100% Victorian novel. Um, and the Victoriana, excuse me, Victoriana in it, boy, there's so many Fowls to say at the same time. Um, is really interesting and well done. I remember just like wanting to, I mean, she's made up the two poets that the book is the subject of, but I was so half convinced that they were real Victorian poets. Um, she does an amazing job with it. And then uh, in the course of um, talking about what we were going to recommend, our resident Velocereader Liberty, <laughs> who uh, is on the All the Books podcast with Rebecca, recommended two for you. Um, the first is Mrs. Angles by Gavin McRae, and the second is The Strangler Vine by, I did not write now, <laughs> by M.J. Carter, um, and which is the first of a three-book series. So if you like The Strangler Vine, there's more where that came from and that's our show Ta-da! jazz hands again <laughs> lots of jazz hands shows so many jazz so hands. many jazz hands show title um so if you like our show please go rate or review us on itunes you can find us on social media i'm at amanda nelson and jen is at jen irl jen with two n's and thank you so much to our sponsors the ladies command and the rogue not taken and we will be back next week not in two weeks but next week with more book recommendations for you and everybody have a great day thanks for listening 